once again. Okay, I thought they were going back into it. <laughs> so I was like down there going, all right, all right, here we go. Um, so a couple of things before I get started in finishing up the Bible for Grown Ups um, part four is uh, one, the summer uh, semester of small groups will begin on June 9th. Uh, spring semester has ended. Uh, if you're not in a small group, you want to be in one, see Pastor Troy. He's in the back somewhere. Say, woohoo, Troy. There you go. Um, so Troy's back there. Go see Pastor Troy, and, and he'll help you get connected with the group. Summer semester is short. They're, people are taking time off, doing different things. But uh, please plug into that. Next week, we begin our summer series. And as I said last week, female is the future, apparently. That's what I see on TV everywhere. But this, uh, this year, what we're doing is we are focusing on the ladies of the Bible. And so we've done heroes. We've done villains. This year, we're doing the ladies of the Bible. And so every week we will focus on a, a specific woman or group of women, what their story has, what they said, or what their story has to tell us and inform us about who we are uh, today and how we can use that to be more uh, who God's calling us to be. So that's what we're doing throughout the summer. Um, but today, since today is the last day that many of you will come to church, because, uh, you know, it's summertime and you all have better plans than we do. Um, and so you're going to be in and out uh, throughout the summer. This is kind of one of the uh, high mark Sunday, and then we taper off in the summer. And, and that's fine. We get it. I'm not going to be here some this summer either. Uh, and uh, you can say amen to that. Hallelujah. Uh, but uh, so I wanted to let you know what's coming in the fall. I'm very excited about this. We, we met, we had a group of leaders meet back in uh, January, February, early February, and really pray about where we were going as a church. And, and this is what we came up with to launch this fall. It's called Come to the Table. And, and so in the fall, we're going to begin this movement, not just a sermon series. There will be a sermon series on Come to the Table, but it's more of a mentality about who we as St. Andrews are um, as a body of Christ. Because when you come to the table, it's a place to be known and a place to know. And those are two fundamentally important things if you are a believer in Jesus and part of a group of people who believes in Jesus. You have to know everybody and you gotta be known too. And at table is where you have this opportunity to share stories and to pour in identity and to come around this thing in a different way. Many of what Jesus, most of the things, most of the magical moments that Jesus has are around a table and there's a reason for that. And so we as a church are going to come to the table in the fall. And what that means is a few things. One, we, uh, every area of the church, every ministry is gonna have an aspect that's focused on this. Um, we are going to have um, these table groups that as we're calling them, that's loosely, uh, I, I didn't get clearance from that from Troy, but we're calling them table groups. And they're gonna be different than a small group because it'll be multi-generational at someone's home centered around a meal. Um, and, and just, we, we have kind of a thing going on with that. We're, I'm really excited about those groups and I think they're gonna be awesome. Uh, and, and then we'll have uh, different things that the youth are doing and, and kids and children's ministry. But the biggest, and we'll be doing stuff with the community as well, but the biggest thing that we're doing um, that may affect most of you will be on Sundays. On Sundays, we're shifting everything around. We are changing um, our service times, our service structure, um, and the number of services that we have. Um, so in the fall, beginning in the fall, we will have uh, three services. And the, the first service will be at nine o'clock. Um, in, in the morning, um, at 9 a.m. service. And uh, some of you were thrown by that at Easter. That was a trial balloon, and many of you failed when you showed up at 9.30 going, wait, what's happening? Um, it was at nine. Uh, so we have a nine o'clock service, and that'll be this service, right? So that'll be structured this way. Um, it'll be uh, with August in, in the, the caramel mel melodies of Letty. Um, I just love when those two sing together. It's just like yummy, right? I mean, that's mm, good. Um, and, and so it will be this kind of service. 
Um, and then at 10 o'clock, we're going to have a fellowship hour, fellowship learning hour. There will be, the kids will have small groups. There will be Sunday school classes, small groups for adults happening throughout campus. In the gym, we'll be having breakfast. Um, hopefully, there will be bacon every week because, you know, just makes it better, right? Um, and uh, there will be a time for fellowship between the two different communities, you know, two different services. And then at 11 o'clock, we'll have a traditional service. So the 11 o'clock service will follow what the 9.30 is um, today. Um, and then um, at 6 p.m., we will have another service, and that'll be a contemporary service like this one. Um, so I know a lot of folks are out of town, they travel, but they're back in town on Sunday evenings, and, and so we're gonna offer up the, the 6 p.m. kind of contemporary service. And, and so that's kind of how we're going to structure Sundays um, in the fall. Um, if you have questions or thoughts about that, um, I, the biggest move, honestly, is gonna be for the traditional folks to move from 9.30 to 11. Um, and, and, but they're, they're actually very excited about it because this is, and I made this joke in front of them at the 9.30 service, so I cleared it with them. This is the one, this, is, this place is an anomaly. It is the one place I've ever seen on the face of the earth where old people like to sleep in. Like, I was like, I thought you people got up at four in the morning. And they're like, no, I hate it. I want to get up at 10. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're 90. I love this. Um, so uh, so they're, they were like just rejoicing that we're moving their traditional service later. Um, so some of you may stay with this 11 o'clock hour because it works with you. And you may um, come to the traditional service. I will tell you, the sermon will be equally as bad at all three services. Um, it's the same sermon, the same bad jokes. I do tailor my jokes a little bit for the younger generation and older generation, but um, so it'll be the, the same stuff. So that's what we have coming this fall. I'm, I'm really excited about this. I'm excited about the sermon series, but I'm excited because it's not just a series, it's something we're carrying on throughout the course of, of next year. So really, if you have questions about this, please see me and I would love to, to sit around a table with you um, and, and to hear your questions and, and to give you my answers. Today, Today, however, we finish part four of this series we've been doing the Bible for grownups. And, and if you were here at the beginning, I told you that, um, well, Troy started, then when I came in on the second one, um, that I didn't have any energy to create anything for these four weeks in between Easter and um, the summer series that I was working on. Um, and so I just, um, as pastors do, we borrowed um, from another church. And, you know, we have perfect rights to do that. You know, we just give credit. Andy Stanley uh, did this many years ago. And, uh, and I loved it because I'm kind of a nerd for this kind of stuff. And, and so we picked this series up, and, and today we, we finish it. And, and if you've been here, what we've been talking about is many of us, um, when we got our first Bible, um, we got one that was like wrapped in this genuine um, rawhide fake leather, um, and you know, you had your name maybe printed on it. And, and so many of us were handed this Bible that was chaptered and versed, and, and we know stories in the Bible, but we don't know the stories of the Bible, the story of the Bible, right? We know what's in here, but we don't know how it came to be in here. And a lot of times, because of that, um, we're, we're confused, we're hurt, we walk away from our faith because of something that's in here. And if we ever do that, that is completely the wrong thing because we have to know the behind the music of this deal. We gotta know the backstory to how the Bible came into being. Because as we talked about, Jesus didn't write it. Right? Jesus not only did he not read it, he never read it in the form that it is in. But because of Jesus, we have the Bible. Right? It's, not, it, it's not because that Jesus lived, it's not, not even because he died. Because a lot of people lived and were great teachers and taught amazing things. A lot of people did these kind of magic tricks of healing different stuff around that time and a lot of people were crucified by the Romans. But not a single one of them 
brought themselves back to life. And it is that event that caused the reaction that eventually led to this. But this didn't come around for a long time. See, what happened at the very beginning is you have the resurrection and people were blown away by the fact that dude said, I am going to die and then I'm going to bring myself back to life. And if anyone ever predicts his own death and resurrection and carries it off, you follow whatever that guy says from that point forward, right? And, and so the church begins in Jerusalem where all this, these people who disappeared, all of a sudden when he comes back, they're like, oh boy. And they begin to follow him. And they begin to, to talk about what they saw and what they experienced. And, and as Luke says, he begins, pe many people started writing down their remembrances of who Jesus was and what he said and what he did and how he died and the fact that he didn't stay dead. And they started passing these things around and, and, and four of them really kind of rose to the top, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these things that were informing people about who Jesus was in his life and his death and resurrection began to just rise up and they became valuable and reliable and, and treasured. And then people started going outside the Jewish world and going into the Gentile world. And as that news spread, the Gentiles are like, man, we're in. If this guy Jesus was a Jew, then let's study what he believed. And, and so they started looking at these Hebrew scriptures, or they called them the law and the prophets, and seeing where Jesus was and all of these different things. And, and they quickly said that these are valuable and they adopted them into their life. And, and they didn't call them Hebrew scriptures, they called them Christian scripture, which really ticked off the Jews, right? And they took this and, and then they had about this, this much of the Bible and they said, this is our scripture. And that's all they had was the Christian scriptures, the law and the prophets. This is the second century, right? It, it, they still didn't have the rest of anything. It was just this small part that informed them. The Old Testament, they called it the Old Covenant and in Latin we change it into Testament. But there was still no Bible. There was just the Hebrew scriptures, the accounts of Jesus' life and, and some correspondence, some letters between this really famous church planner and the churches that he went to plant and some of the people that were closest and dearest to his heart. And that, of course, is Paul. And today we're gonna to talk about him. Paul, the Apostle Paul, or Saul of Tarsus. And he has two names, and you may wonder why he has two names. It originally, when we first hear about him, he is known as Saul, but then he quickly changes to Paul. And the reason is this, that he was both a Hebrew, a Jew, and he was also a Roman citizen. And because he was both a Hebrew and a Roman citizen, he would have a Hebrew name, Saul, and he would have a Roman name, Paul. And when we first hear about Saul, he is called Saul from Luke in the book of Acts, but quickly he then changes and goes by the artist formerly known as Saul, right? He goes by Paul. Why? Because he's not going to reach Hebrews. He's going to the rest of the world. And so he puts on his Roman identity, Paul, to go speak to the people who he would connect with as Paul, but not Saul. If Paul were to have um, some sort of Twitter handle, it would be um, at the Colossal Apostle. <laughs> because dude was legendary. I mean, let's think about it. We all know who Paul is. I mean, when you start talking about the Apostle Paul, you already know that most of this stuff is from him. Most of the New Testament is due to him. 
that he went around, that he was this, he was an author, he was a church planner, he was a Pharisee, he was this amazing guy who did such amazing stuff. If you, anybody listen to sports radio in here? Any sports radio people? No one listens to sports radio? That is a lie. There's people, okay, do you watch sports TV? Yes, and like, you ever see, uh, what's that, pardon the interruption, where they yell at each other and they try to prove that their person is better than, you ever have one of those arguments that the best quarterback of all time is? Terry Bradshaw, there he goes, there he is, yep. So he's off steel, he's like, mm-hmm, yeah, fight me on this. Okay, yeah, Terry Bradshaw, okay, Joe Montana, you know maybe, Troy Aikman, Tony Romo fans? No, okay, so you have, you know, and, and people who believe this, like I tell you, he's, get, he's gonna go down to the grave saying that Terry Bradshaw is the greatest because he bleeds in black and yellow. And, and so there, there are these, you have these arguments. I will argue that Paul is the greatest apostle of all times. Now you may say, no, 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 it's totally Peter. I mean, Peter's the guy who was out there. He was, the, he was the first one to follow Jesus. Actually, Andrew was, whatever, we won't get into that. Peter's the first one always, anytime Jesus said go somewhere, Peter's the only guy who got out of the boat and walked on water. Did Paul walk on water? No, Peter did. You know, I mean, Peter's the one who followed him everywhere. He was the first one in, greatest. I don't know, it was James. James, his brother, who picked up the cross and, and carried the church and began the organization and led the church that, that exists now today. Oh, he's gotta be the greatest. No, 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 it's John, right? John, man, John, the, the, the greatest one, the revelator who, who brings us the image of what heaven's gonna be like. Dude, went everywhere. No, 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 Paul is the greatest. Not only is Paul the greatest, Paul did more for the church and Western civilization than all the other apostles combined. Paul did more for all of us than everyone else. You stack up what they did and you stack up what he did and he looks down on them. The colossal apostle is Paul. But that's not what Paul would say. Paul actually would go the entire opposite direction. In fact, he did this when he wrote, wrote his first letter to the, his beloved people in, in Corinth. He says this, I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. See, Paul did amazing stuff after he met Jesus. But before that, that dude was a mess. He, he, was, he did amazing stuff against Jesus. He was this guy who, he was a Pharisee and, and he studied under the best rabbi of the day, Gamaliel. I mean, the guy was just amazingly brilliant and he was a leader and he rises through the ranks of the Pharisees. We know this because the chief priest gives him orders to go shut the church down. Anyone who believes in Jesus, you shut him down. You find any Jew who says that Jesus is the Messiah, you arrest them, you torture them, and if you need to, you kill them. And Paul was good at that, and he did it. In the name of God, he went out and tortured and killed people who believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And he says to the people of Corinth, man, I, I don't even de deserve to be called an apostle. Let me tell you an aside right here. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been, what you've said, I don't care what you think your stack of bad deeds is, it does not compare to Paul's. 
In the name of God, he did atrocities that we can't comprehend, and yet God said, but you're going to be my guy. If you think you have done so much that God can't use you, look at the life of Paul and step up to the plate because there is no one that God can't pull out of their darkness and say, man, I have some beauty that's gonna shine through you. My life is a clear example of that. That's an aside. Back to Paul. So Paul, this colossal apostle, this guy who does all these things, considers himself not worthy of any kind of praise, shapes Western civilization by what he writes and he really births the church. We need to pay attention to him for three reasons. One, he wrote a lot of what we call the New Testament. 13 letters survived antiquity. He was writing to churches that he, that he started. He was writing to his dear friends, um, just letters that he was writing. He wasn't writing the Bible. Like you get that, right? He wasn't sitting down going, all right, how can I phrase this so that one day some idiot in San Antonio uh, can preach about it, right? He was writing letters to his friends and to this, these churches that he, that he lovingly cared for. He was trying to help them through the time of oppression that they were in. He was just writing these things. But, but the deal was his letters were so brilliant and beautiful and God throughout all of them that they were considered valuable and they were copied. Every time they would go into Corinth, they would first take it because no one could read, very few people could read or write. And they would have these people that would copy it and they'd send it out so that you could read these letters to all the different people of the church. And, and they would share them with the city. Some of the cities were close together and they would pass them. Hey, we got a letter from Paul, let us share it with you. And they were just, tre- immediately these words were just valuable and treasured. So we need to pay attention because he wrote so much of it that people just valued instantly. The second thing we need to remember and focus on Paul for is that he explains the relationship between parts of the scripture, the parts of the scripture. He explains how the Christians should view and use the Old Testament. And he should know. As we talked about, he was a Pharisee and he knew the text. He knew the Hebrew scripture, the law and the prophets like the back of his hand. It, it was drilled into from him from the very time he was young and, and he excelled at understanding it. He was brilliant at this. The Pharisee of Pharisee, he, he calls himself. And so he would know how to interplay these two things. And what Paul wants us to know, if he gave you your Bible today and, and it's your first Bible ever and he's like, hey, here's your Bible. There's two things I need you to know about this is one, the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, I want you to use that for inspiration and for motivation, but not necessarily application. I need you to read this story because this story is so important and we've talked about that the last two weeks, but use it for motivation and for inspiration, but not necessarily application because let me tell you, this was built under a covenant that no longer exists. This scripture was, was built on, uh, uh, for a covenant, an agreement that God made for the people of Israel. But we live under a new covenant. So we, we live under something different because we know who Jesus is as the Messiah. And Jesus came to begin a new covenant. And so we look at these old scriptures and we say they are beautiful and wonderful and they inform us as to who we are and they motivate us into how we should live, but we maybe necessarily shouldn't take our life cues from them. So if you have ever been hung up by an Old Testament scripture that you just can't get behind and understand, don't 
see that as something that should hold you down and oppress you. Because the second thing Paul would say is, you take your life cues on how you manage your life, how you live your life, from Jesus. Plain and simple. How you live your life, look to Jesus, do what he did. Jesus says this, a new command I give you. Right, a new command I give you. And, and, and hear this, when Jesus says this, this is big. I mean, we hear, we, like we use words and we don't, we don't use words with the same power and authority any longer. But when a Jew said, a new commandment I give you, everybody be like, whoa, back up the truck, Chuck. Only God can make new commandments. But, but only God can walk on water and only God can bring the dead back to life and only God can heal the lame and only God can make the blind to see and only God can make 5,000 people eat of such little food and only God can calm the seas. Maybe, maybe we ought to listen to this new commandment. Right, he tells the disciples, a new commandment I give you. And do you remember what it is? This, this new commandment that is going to replace all the 613. Love one another as I have loved you. That's it. Love one another as I have loved you. And by this, everyone will know who you are. What Paul wants us to see is that from the life of Jesus, we dive into this new commandment and we become the people of God. Love one another. Now, don't love one another as you want them to love you. That's the golden rule, man. We're beyond that. That's the platinum rule. Don't love one another in the way you think they deserve to be loved. You love them as I have loved you. And then the next day he goes to the cross. The next day, he sets up this new commandment and he goes, now let me show you what it looks like. And so Paul very purposefully focuses in on this throughout his letters. When we take our cues for how to live in this world, we look to Jesus. He says this the first time he, when he writes to the people of Philippi. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. Have the same, in every relationship you have, have that mindset of Jesus. Jesus, who, who was God on earth, never powered up. He never, he never walked into a restaurant and every table was full and said, hey, I'm gonna need that table for 13. Thank you, that's funny. It's the Last Supper, come on, it's table for 13. Not for 12, because where do you put Jesus, right? Um, I'm Jesus, can you make them move, right? He never walks in anywhere and says, um, I'm sorry, do you know me? I'm the son of God. No, he says, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. In every relationship, have that mindset. Man, what would it be like? What would it be like if you had a marriage like that? Whew. Right? Some of you are like, I do, she serves me. It's not right. The people of Ephesus, he says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
You don't submit to one another because they're worthy of submission. You submit to one another because Christ gave his life for you. He goes on in Ephesus to say, in Ephesians to say this, be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other. Yeah, 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 but she doesn't deserve forgiveness. Do you know what he said about me? He doesn't deserve forgiveness. I don't care. Forgive one another because Christ forgave you. Right, Paul over and over again in these letters is going, you've got it wrong. You're living under the laws of old and Jesus set a new commandment for us. Love one another as I have loved you. And then the next day he went to the cross. Imagine what it would be like if we really got this right. Imagine what our society, what our community would look like if if we allowed this to lead everything that we did. What would your marriage look like if, if your marriage became a submission competition? If you were trying to out-submit one another? If you were trying to, I said, you're trying to be Chippendale for one another. I said that in the first service and no one got it. They all went to a dark place and you should not be there either. Forgive you for doing that. I was thinking the little cartoon, Warner Brothers, little Chippendale, we're Chippendale. You know, and they're always like, no, no, after you. No, 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 after you. Please, I insist, after you. You know, dark-minded people but I forgive you because Christ has forgiven me. What would it be like if your marriage was just submitting to one another, giving to one another? What would it be like if if you operated with your parents or your children that way? What would it be like if you were an employee and you just submitted to your employer because Christ called you to? Man, I hate my boss, but I'm gonna do everything that they ask because Jesus Christ asked me to. What would it be like if we started living by that new covenant? So he wrote most of it. He told us how to operate between the two things. And then the third thing that he makes is he, he gives authentic, uh, he authenticates the most important event recorded in it. We talked about the fact that the Bible wouldn't exist if there were no resurrection. It would have just been a great story of a great guy who lived and did some crazy things and then he died at the hands of the Romans like so many people did. But he didn't stay dead. He rose again. And what Paul has to say to the Corinthians is indisputable evidence of Jesus' resurrection and that it was accepted very early, not later on. Because many of you may have heard from time to time, and scholars like to throw out this theory that, that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we don't really know who wrote those things. The authorship is called into question many times, as are the dates in which they were written. No, no, no. Those were written hundreds of years after the events of Jesus. It was written by a group of people who were trying to formulate a story that would go around a religion that they wanted to create. But in the letter, his first letter to Corinthians, he blows that out of the water. No scholar argues that Paul didn't exist. Everybody believes it. Secular, sacred, whatever. In the church, out of the church. Everyone acknowledges that a dude named Paul existed. That he existed during this time frame. That he wrote all of these letters. Everybody believes that Paul wrote the first letter to the church of Corinth. Everyone believes that he wrote that in AD 55. This is gonna bore some of you people. This really excites me. In AD 55, he wrote that letter. No scholar disputes that. 
inside or outside of the church. He planted that church in AD 52. So he's writing to the church three years later. After he had been to Jerusalem for the first time in 40. After he had his conversion experience in 37. There is one scholar who is not a believer in Jesus, in fact, stands against the church, who believes that Paul was actually converted in 35. Thank you very much, that helps us even better. In 30, if it was 35, two years after the crucifixion, this is a very short time frame from the crucifixion to Paul's letter in Corinthians. Why does this matter? Well, some of you are already jumping on board with me. What does Paul say? Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you when I was here five years ago. When I was here five years, I wanna, I wanna remind you of what I told you. For what I received, I passed on to you as, the, as a first importance, that Christ died for our sins. That Christ died, from the very beginning, Christ's death was seen as important and meaningful, the final sacrifice to usher out the old system and bring in something new. If you remember, I told you that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, as you do with dead people, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, Wait, 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 how do you know that he appeared to Peter, Paul? Um, because in 40, I was in Jerusalem and I sat at a table with Peter and we had some arguments about some stuff, but he told me that he saw him after his death. He first appeared to Peter and then it says, and then he appeared to the 12. Well, how do you know that he appeared to the 12? Because I was in Jerusalem and they told me if you ever follow somebody around for a while and he dies and brings himself back to life, you're not keeping that story to yourself. And they told me. And then, and then he appeared to more than 500 people, Paul says, of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. So you wanna fact check me? Go to Jerusalem, I will introduce you to these people. They will tell you what they saw. Though, he says, some have fallen asleep. And this is an important part here. It doesn't have to do with really his, uh, the, 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 the approval of the, of the resurrection, but from the very beginning, the Christians believed, he says, fall asleep. When someone falls asleep, they will eventually what? Wake up. From the very beginning, the church believed that death was not final. They described death as sleep. They lost their fear of death. Why? Because they saw their rabbi hanging on a cross, put in a tomb, and then a few days later they had breakfast with him on the beach. And when you see your rabbi dead hanging on a cross, you see him put in a tomb, and then you're having fish with him on the beach, you lose your fear of death. And you say, I'm in. From the very beginning, the church believed that death was not final and that Jesus had been all along talking about eternal life. From the very beginning. And Paul in AD 55 says, some have fallen asleep, but that's not where they'll end up. 
Some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, the brother of Jesus. And we've talked about it in here before. How hard would it be for you to convince your sibling that you're the son of God? Right? Of any people, it's your siblings. You're like, there's no way you're the son of God. Like, I've seen you. Right? Maybe the son of Satan. Not the son of God. Right? But James, who takes over the leadership of the church and launches this organization that will change the world. Paul sits down with him and James says, this is what happened, man. This is what happened. And Paul writes to these people early on. And inside this little packet that he's, this little passage of this letter that he's telling them, he has this creed. And this creed, if you don't know what a creed is, this creed is like the, the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed. It's, it's something that the church gathers together and they say, this, this is a statement of faith so important that we need to put it together in a way that people can remember it and say it over and over again so it becomes a part of who they are. We did a baptism at 9.30 and we read the creed together, right? It's something that we know as soon as I start saying it, do you believe in the Holy Church? I believe in the Holy Church, right? You start going down those roads because it's these things that are ingrained into us. Inside this, Paul uses what every scholar says, a creed. It essentially says this, Christ died for our sin and was buried. He rose from the dead and was seen. Christ died for our sin and was buried, but he rose from the dead and we saw him. From the very beginning, the church believed in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and still did not have a Bible because they didn't need it because their faith wasn't based on this book. Their faith was based on the God who gave everything so that they might have life. How, how many of us have walked away from faith because we've been confused by something that was in this? How many of us have thrown this at someone trying to defend ourselves and tear them down? How many of us has placed so much weight in this and it is a beautiful story, a wonderful story that means so much and that builds me up? This book didn't come into being until the fourth century. The fourth century when Constantine was, was emperor and he finally lifts the regulations on religion and he, and he frees everyone to worship however they want and he pours himself and really the, the country into Christianity as the main one. And he takes all of these letters that have been floating around from Paul and, and then James eventually writes a letter and John writes three letters and, and, and you have Peter writing a couple of letters and, and someone writes this beautiful book called Hebrews and, and you have all of this stuff that's been floating around and the church has been devouring it, copying it down, reading it to one another, hearing these words, helping, it to, helping them shape their faith and who they are and how they understand Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection. And they take all this stuff and, and, and Constantine finally puts it together. Not until the late fourth century did this come into existence. And yet, the church thrived and grew and took over the world with the love of Christ. The Bible did not create Christianity. It shaped Western civilization for sure. 
It's shaped my life. As I found freedom in the stories of Paul, if God could use someone that bad, maybe then he really could use me. I found strength in the stories of healing. If God can heal then, I know God can heal today. And so I have faith that grace will be healed. It has shaped my life, it has shaped our culture, our civilization, but it did not create Christianity. Christianity is a result of an event, the resurrection, that created a movement, the church that produced texts, these letters, these remembrances that were collected and protected and that were bound into a book. If there had been no resurrection, there would be no Bible because the story of Jesus would not have been worth telling. His story was worth telling because it was a story for every generation. And it's a story with personal implications for every one of us. Because Christ died for our sin and was buried. He rose from the dead and was seen. The question you should not ask about this is, are you at peace with everything in the Bible? But rather, have you found peace with God who so loved the world, so loved you, that he was willing to send his son to die, to be buried, and to be seen? If you have ever, for any reason, walked away from faith because of a question contained in the scripture, come back. Come back. Because Christ died for you. But he didn't stay dead so that you wouldn't have to either. Let us pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for the way that you move in our life. God, I thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ, for the stories that those people remembered and wrote down, for the fact that they were courageous enough in in, in the face of oppression, in the face of death, to write down the fact that you died and rose again. I thank you for Matthew, for Mark, for Luke, for John, for Paul, for James, for Peter. I thank you for those men and women, for Phoebe, who went out ahead of everyone and said, Christ died, but he didn't stay dead. And they took it upon themselves not to live under an old covenant, but to embrace the new, but to embrace that new life and that new commandment. And they lived their lives by the principles of Christ to love each other as you so greatly loved us. May we, the sons and daughters, the church of today, be as bold as they, to live our lives in such a way through so much love, through so much joy and peace and grace and mercy that people can't help but see Christ in every one of us. And God, I pray that if if there is somebody who has walked away from, from you, from the church, from their faith, 
because of something written in the scriptures, that you would pull them back, that you would show them the great love that you have for them. And they would lay that burden down at the cross and accept the gift of the cross. May you move in all of us and may we move in this world so that others may know your glory. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Please stand, the ushers are coming forward for the offertory and our prayer team will be on either side should you need.